Hello and welcome to the Instech podcast. Your usual host, Matthew Grant, is away this week, so it's Henry Gale here from the Research and Insights team. We're busy writing about topics like climate risk, with a report on wildfire coming out soon, and parametric insurance, that's insurance where claims payouts are triggered by events. We're seeing more organizations of all sizes trusting parametric to help them recover from weather events and catastrophes, including the government of Mexico, which is getting two parametric payouts after Hurricane Otis last month. Today, we're talking to Sid Jar, the CEO of Arbol. That's one of the companies growing the parametric insurance market as an MGA, but also launching other initiatives to help its clients manage climate risks beyond just insurance. I'm sure you'll enjoy the discussion. You can keep up to date with our research, interviews, and events on parametric, climate, and many, many other topics too by heading to www.instech.co. Sid, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me here, Henry. It's a pleasure. You founded Arbol five years ago now to help businesses get protected against climate risks with parametric insurance. And last year, you transacted $170 million in gross written premiums. So growing fast, but you're also growing beyond parametric with various other products to help companies manage and understand their climate risks. You were last on the podcast around a year ago. What's changed since then? And I know one of those things is earlier this year, you announced a partnership with Beasley. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about that and what it enables you to do? Yeah, the Beasley partnership was a big step for us, making inroads into the reinsurance world while also demonstrating the future of parametric insurance and where it can go. It came as part of our Lloyd's cover holder application and allows us to deploy capacity in the United States at first for general weather risks across industries. Uh, it could be rainfall, it could be temperature. And it's really a big step towards growing the non-cat part of the market. But parametrics have often had much more success in the catastrophe side of the market. But if you look at where the risks are distributed, the non-cat side is growing really rapidly in terms of demand and need, but there hasn't been sufficient capacity or focus on that part of the market. So the partnership with Beasley allows us to really start to broaden the adoption of parametric products and grow the market towards a lot more diverse sets of risks than just hurricanes. You're speaking to me from the US. One of the other things that's changed in the last year is you've been continuing to grow internationally. What are some of the other parts of the world that you're focused on? Yeah, we're about to launch uh, our UK MGA soon. So that'll be a big step towards international expansion. We actually see a lot of opportunity in the UK, Europe area, a lot of unmet risks uh, in areas such as energy and agriculture. We actually transact pretty heavily in the European energy market already. It's one of our largest geographies for the energy sector, but still a lot of unmet demand when it comes to agriculture, when it comes to construction, many of these other industries that are struggling with climate risk. We've also increased our focus in uh, Latin America and Asia, where we see a lot of clients who have needs and the client education process has come a long way in these parts to enable 
parametric deployment. You mentioned that quite a wide range of industries, energy, construction, agriculture, I'm sure there are more as well. What types of exposures are they worried about that they want to cover with parametric? So the two big ones in energy tend to be temperature, which is correlated to various types of demand, whether it is for electricity or natural gas, hot summer, going to run your air conditioners. Cold winter, you're going to run your heater more. The fast growing area in the recent years has been wind and solar, right? So wind speed has a big impact for the individual wind farm operator and also for the utility grid on a regional level. And another more recent but growing one has been variations in sunshine, you know, how much solar irradiance is actually hitting the panels, as well as hail, which has been a risk for solar plants that is insufficiently covered by the insurance industry, but is very apt for parametric solutions. So in agriculture, the two big perils tend to be rainfall and uh, crop yield and to a lesser extent temperature. What you find is that even areas like the United States that have a government subsidy on insurance leave a lot to be desired on that front. One thing that's underappreciated in agriculture is that cropping patterns have changed massively as climate changes locally. So crops that were maybe growing in really warm areas due to genetics improvements and climate changes are now suddenly growing in much colder areas. Those areas may not actually have the correct subsidy policies for such farmers. Like in the northern U.S., people are growing more and more soybeans. That's a much warm weather crop, but it can now grow much further north. But the federal crop insurance subsidy may not cover them there. Or the coverage is insufficient because there's just not enough data. Area that we focus on in agriculture than even the farmers is the agribusinesses. This is a much more neglected area. There are really no insurance products for such operators. So if you're a processor, transporter, warehouser of an agricultural commodity, generally you have a local presence, you need that local crop to be produced, right? You're a cotton gin, you need the cotton crop locally. If you don't have a local crop, you're going to have to shut down your business or at least take a much lower revenue for that season. Parametric solutions are ideal here because... These guys are not a single farm. It is maybe over six or seven counties or districts, right? Like that's their sourcing zone. It's much easier to do a parametric regional yield contract for them. So we see a lot of growth coming in the next uh, few years. Ethanol plants, biodiesel plants, flour processors, canning for fruits, lots of different agricultural processors and transporters who are exposed to climate risks in their supply chain. Does it tend to be large companies that are best equipped to take this kind of insurance or are small companies able to access it as well? We work with a lot of smaller companies. We pride ourselves in being able to do everything from a $500 premium to a $20 million premium transaction. That's where technology, that's where the artificial intelligence underwriting, that's where the underlying settlement architecture that we built over the last few years on blockchain really enables scale. So that helps us serve a much wider client base than maybe some of the larger reinsurers who are generally focused on the much bigger corporate clients. And with that diversity, 
the people who are buying insurance will be very different. There might be dedicated risk managers for large corporates, whereas small businesses, there's not a lot of time to think about risks. Do these types of customers really understand what climate risks they need insurance for? It depends on the industry. So I think in agriculture, people are pretty well versed on the climate risks, at least on a conceptual level. What we try to do is for smaller businesses have a bit more standardized products that you know, are easy to understand. And what we try to do is automate some of that education process. So webinars with the agents that might cover them for crop insurance in general, and also like our platform being as transparent as possible. So you want to buy a drought contract, you can see what this policy would have paid in these years. And then you can assess for yourself, okay, this did pay me in the great drought of 2012, or this paid me max loss in these years where I did suffer a lot. To me, that's also a great benefit of parametric, right? You can hit rewind on the policy and you can really see what this would have done. It's that kind of transparency that we also found was often lacking in the parametric space and really makes it an uphill battle to get repeat customer business. That's something we have really strived for and we are very proud of the repeat business we get, whether or not there has been a payout. A lot of businesses come back to us regardless of whether there was a payout the previous year. So, you know, that customer education process is something we have uh, worked on a lot over the years and really tried to be as transparent about the contract you're purchasing. I think the clients start to really get it then. It's like, okay, this is concretely what this policy does. And I understand you've also, you're also providing some technology to help companies actually understand what climate risks they're exposed to better and, and quantify that. Can you tell me a bit more about that? So we have a, a product that was jointly built with uh, D-Climate and it's called Aegis. And the idea here is that we want to build portals that allow our clients to analyze their risks before they would be even ready to transact an actual insurance or derivatives contract. And Aegis allows you to put in your assets around the world, like maybe you have a bunch of factories or maybe real estate, maybe you have a bunch of logistics operations, and really see what the near-term, medium-term, long-term effects of different scenarios of climate change could do to your assets. And it's across a whole bunch of perils, like 16 perils, I think. So is it more likely you'll get cyclones or hurricanes in your area, flooding, heat waves, wildfires? So we've tried to make it very comprehensive. We're not trying to sell you anything beyond you just understanding what your risks are at first and truly grasping that before you can consider things like, okay, I want climate insurance for this. That's really interesting. Are there any examples you could give maybe of a type of company that's tried that and maybe was surprised by the outcome? We've seen a whole bunch of different types of corporates testing it out. We've seen a lot of interest from different parts of the real estate industry. If you think about how much real estate is at risk of, for example, rising ocean levels or other types of climate risk, and then it's not just the local owners of the real estate You have REITs, real estate investment trusts, and other aggregators of real estate who are increasingly aware that their portfolios are quite exposed to different kinds of climate risk. If you are a REIT, which is like an ETF of real estate things, you might have thousands of properties that you own around the different parts of the country. 
how is that going to get affected when the next hurricane strikes or sea level waters start rising in the coastal properties you might have and things like that? These guys need to start understanding it so they can get prepared for it. And that's an industry where parametrics haven't made a tremendous amount of progress. That pool of investments they've got, the value of that will change if the sea level rises and it starts flooding. Absolutely. And now we've started to see reports of REITs that are most affected by climate risk. Right? People are starting to wake up that there's a lot of climate risk time bombs, essentially, in our financial system. Like a lot of banks are struggling with their loan portfolios. If you are mortgages, if you have commercial loans out to different types of businesses that might be affected with climate risk, you need to start assessing that. And that's another client base that uh, has shown a lot of interest in Aegis is the banking sector. And I suppose once they start understanding this better, they're in a better position to decide whether they want insurance or to hedge against it in some way. How does it fit in with how you work with brokers? Uh, we see brokers as a very valuable and uh, important channel. Often, even if the client may understand that they have risks, they'll still go to their trusted insurance broker to ask, hey, what do I do? do about this risk? Or there was a big storm and it caused a big amount of damage. How do I prevent this the next season or uh, the next storm? That's where us working with brokers is very important because once brokers understand that there are solutions like this available, when a client comes for all types of different risks, there could be a product in the parametric space that is not may be covered by the insurance industry. One example would be supply chain risks. Uh, you know, if you're an LNG, liquefied natural gas importer into Europe, if it's very cold in Tokyo, Seoul, they are going to pull the LNG that you were expecting, or you will have to pay a much higher price to pull the same LNG. That's not a product that the insurance industry really thinks about. This is global supply chain risk that is highly interconnected. Similarly, when there was a drought in Taiwan over the last couple of years, that caused a huge issue in the semiconductor chip industry, which then had massive effects on autos and many other uh, sectors that are, are, are huge users of chips. A drought in a whole other part of the world is not something that there's really going to be an insurance product for. These are ideal use cases for parametric. And the broker and agent community, as they talk to clients and start to see their climate risk in a much broader sense, can then think, hey, there might be a parametric solution for this. One of the things that uh, we consistently hear talking to brokers is they are actually very surprised at how much parametric business we have done. Because the, the assumption is that it's just small, almost pilot projects. I think that paradigm is changing very rapidly, and we'd love to talk to more brokers and educate them as to what is possible. And what does it look like for a broker to use our ball to get a quote or, or get that information that you said about, you know, would it have paid out in previous years? The easiest way is to reach out to us. We have a full platform that they can operate on their own. But at first, it's probably best to have a conversation to see what is possible. And if the platform is too commoditized, they need a more bespoke product, we can turn around pricing much, much faster than the traditional channels. You mentioned creating bespoke products there. One of those areas that you're sort of pushing the boundaries of, of parametric products is, is hybrid parametric products. I know you've been talking to me about this. You know, what, what is a hybrid parametric product? Hybrids can be where 
part of the risk is settled traditionally, like with an adjuster, and part of it, maybe because of exclusions and deductibles, is parametric. So a simple example would be a home insurance contract where the majority of the house still has traditional home insurance, but in many places, for example, in the US, the roof may be not covered anymore due to regulatory or due to just risks being too high. That could be a parametric product that just pays on how close a storm gets and what the wind speed was. So you can create hybrids and grow the parametric space quite a bit while closing the climate coverage gap to make sure that customers have coverage that they think they do. And another big part is that they can start recovering after an event, maybe after a hurricane. Sometimes, I mean, you can be waiting a year plus to get your settlement check. That's a long time for a consumer to be waiting to start the recovery process. We can help kind of stop that by having parametric policies that also get paid really, really quickly while the traditional claim is being settled, at least you have something to get, say, your roof fixed. Yeah, we're actually recalling this at a time when in the UK, there's a storm that's battering part of Scotland, I think. And I think it's really interesting to see how you can have a home insurance policy that is traditionally adjusted for most of it. But for those areas that excluded roofs, fences, you get the payout more quickly. So how does this normally come up? Is it uh, a traditional insurance company would come to you and say they want to manage some of the challenges they've got in their portfolio by turning things hybrid parametric? Yeah, so that's one route. Uh, We are also looking at other ways, like, for example, uh, seeing if we can also be a part of the home insurance landscape and then add on our own parametrics. The other part of this, when we talk about closing these gaps, the gap doesn't just exist for the consumer, right? Part of the reason the insurance company is struggling is because they themselves are having trouble fulfilling the risk gap on the reinsurance tower. There are risks that are getting harder or more and more expensive for them to reinsure, which then causes a cascading effect in reducing coverage to the consumer. So on that front, we've actually, since the last year, and this has been a rapidly growing initiative for us, is doing parametric reinsurance with insurers. So the client is a home insurer where their portfolio, you know, gets converted into a bunch of points. And as a storm tracks through, the portfolio pays out based on wind speed, location, and all that stuff. So what that does is now they can get reinsurance coverage for a certain part of the tower, get paid really quickly after a storm, and that will cascade down to them being able to offer better coverage to the consumer and also make quicker payouts because they're not struggling to manage their reinsurance tower. So the problem you know, is not really with necessarily the insurance companies themselves, but it's the whole market structure is having difficulty taking on these risks. And the beauty of parametric reinsurance is that it doesn't need to go to a reinsurer. It can go to non-traditional channels because once you have a parametric, the other big benefit is that non-traditional capital can understand it a lot better. They're not struggling to understand, okay, what, what, how long is the claims process going to be? When am I going to get my money back? What's the litigation situation? It, it adds a lot of different risks that are not quantifiable. Parametric 
contract, whether it's reinsurance or insurance, is much more quantifiable. So it actually acts as a great bridge as well to getting non-traditional capital, which is desperately needed in climate risk. Yeah, I think across the whole value chain, different pockets of climate risk that people remain exposed to, and you can, but you're able to cover that because you're doing parametric and bringing in the capital from, from elsewhere and, and different parts of the market. Another thing I wanted to touch on in terms of new product development is the carbon markets, because organizations that are buying or selling carbon credits are exposed to the risk that the carbon offset doesn't actually occur. You know, the tree burns down, something like that. I understand you're doing some work to help ensure this risk and understand this risk. Carbon is a big growing area, and I think it has actually some deep similarities with how we started by uh, looking at insurance, which is it's an opaque market where I think the buyers and sellers are not quite sure where the common ground is. There's a lot of uncertainty around what you're buying and what you're selling. Let's start with nature-based offsets, so forestry preservation or reforestation offsets. If you have an offset like that, first, before you're talking about creating an insurance policy, whether parametric or traditional, first you have to ask yourself, instead of us going ahead and saying, here's a carbon offset policy, we like to go to first principles and say, okay, is there even any data here? How do you even assess the risk? And what we found was that this was pretty inadequate. So, you know, the insurance product is like the last step. Well, I don't think the carbon market even had the first step going. So we set out to first build a platform called Cyclops to understand what is happening to a particular patch of forest or a particular patch of empty land that is being reforested at a very granular level at a high frequency, utilizing not one, but many different satellite sources and bands from optical to radar, combining that with artificial intelligence to understand what is even happening. And not just what's happening right now, but stitching together painstakingly data going back to then come up with the carbon and biomass history of this area. Without that history, underwriting is impossible traditional or parametric, right? So that was the first step we had to take before we could even talk about a carbon insurance product. Now that we have that, and Cyclops was unveiled uh, recently, we can now get a sense for, okay, this is what's been happening to this forest, and these are the threats that are emerging. If you have roads building, if you have an illegal mine, if you have agricultural land encroaching, that also increases the risk of things like fire and other degradation. Then there's the climate effect, like is this area susceptible to a big drought? And by building high quality, long time series of things like forest biomass and carbon sequestered, we can also start to talk about parametric solutions. A lot of the carbon offset projects are in, again, very remote areas, very difficult to reach, certainly very difficult to adjust manually. So by utilizing par and, and parametric policies, we could have a much more efficient way to ensure these projects, which will then just enable a lot more capital at scale. And that's something we're in discussions with a number of different stakeholders in the insurance community, and we'd love to have more of these discussions. The carbon markets have gone through quite a lot in the last year or so, a big upset over to whether carbon credits, uh, you know, are really delivering what 
you expect what are expected of them. So it sounds like you've started from a position of let's bring some more transparency and data around is the carbon credit really there? And before then, how can we actually manage that risk? Exactly. I mean, for us, that was day one when we started this process of looking into carbon a few years ago. We just didn't understand how would you have confidence in a market that was so behind on measuring what was actually happening. We have to get that first step going before anyone can trust what's happening. So to me, it's unfortunate, some of the press that has come out, but I think it's actually very healthy for the long term that we get away from these qualitative assessments and really start to have very transparent, high-frequency, high-resolution measurement of projects so everyone can see what is it that is happening and what impact it's having. You mentioned Cyclops there, that's the carbon data product. We talked about Aegis earlier, D-Climate, which is your climate data. You use the word ecosystem. It sounds like you're trying to build something that's much bigger than a company that does insurance products. Yes, we see this as if you are to change a market, you have to take the full process If you want to deploy a new way of doing something, you have to start with the technology to build that trust, to build that monitoring, to build that understanding of what is happening. And that's true of whether it's carbon or even in parametric. One of the first things we did back in 2019 when we were putting together our platform was to ensure that the consumer can see what policy they're actually buying. What did it do in the past? And how would the payouts change under different uh, you know, rainfall scenarios, for example? Just a simple example. But we found that a lot of this stuff was not there, and it was out of need. If we are to educate the consumer, we need to do these things. Once you start to do that groundwork, it takes a while, but once you do the groundwork, then it becomes a lot easier to scaffold products on top of it. Once the consumer understands what they're actually buying, then you can get more granular on the data. Then you can add more bells and whistles to your policy. You are not trying to overcomplicate it or trying to get at the risk that the consumer is facing. So it's important for us to continue to build technology, but with the understanding that unless that technology is connected with the right risk capacity, with the right client base, it's not technology for the sake of building technology. As you said, that that technology needs to be trusted by the capacity. Uh, tell me a bit more about the underwriting process. You said it's it's automated, or you're able to deliver cl- quotes very quickly. It's in a matter of seconds. For a lot of standardized contracts, essentially an engine that will give you not just the quotes, but all sorts of diagnostics. If you're our internal on the internal sales side, you can type the deal into our Slack and get a Slack bot to respond with the prices, for example. You can upload an Excel spreadsheet and get all sorts of pricing for a massive portfolio, maybe 10,000 locations in a matter of uh, 30 seconds. If it's a much more bespoke deal, we have an extremely talented pricing team that has built a, a very extensive technology infrastructure to get these priced quickly and sharply. And all our pricing incorporates not just what's happening in the area of the deal, but every other deal we have and the global climate system all in one integrated system. And that's been very, very useful for us to scale. 
a lot of data you have to take into account, I suppose. And so what has been the response from insurers then? Because especially if you're acting as an MGA, you know, you're underwriting on their behalf. Our partnership with Beasley, we went through our process with them in a lot of detail, tried to be as transparent as possible. And I think it's it's a it's a great sign that they have trusted us to deploy the pricing that our model does. And it's been great to see both the alternative capital world and the reinsurance world getting more and more comfortable with how we uh, deploy our pricing. So do you think there'll be more more players in the insurance market that'll be looking to deploy capacity behind this parametric climate risk type product in the future? Absolutely. I think this is the way you scale both parametrics, but also for a lot of risk capacity providers, this is the way you scale diversification. You know, otherwise what happens is increasingly markets are highly correlated. So for an alternative capital provider, you know, stock markets, bond markets, they're all moving in lockstep based on geopolitics, based on interest rate cycles. And it's hard to find truly uncorrelated alpha. And on the insurance world, you know, they are, there's a need for new kinds of non-cat risks because the cat side dominates so much. So I think it serves both the consumer and the risk capacity to grow these non-cat markets. And there is a room for more intelligent cat solutions as well. As I was mentioning with the home insurers, there are parts of the reinsurance world which may be not able to support the insurance world as much as they would have in the past. And that's where alternative capital can come and plug that gap. So to bring it back to some of those examples, whether it's raining on certain periods and that affects agriculture in their certain ways, that's something which is not correlated with the macro effects that affect all the financial markets. And so from a, from a risk capacity from capital markets, that's good. But also it's not actually correlated either to whether there's a massive hurricane that affects all the insurance industry either. Agricultural risk is very diverse than the Florida hurricane cat risk or California earthquake risk. So these are all important new markets to grow because the need is there on the consumer side. It's just that the capital hasn't been channeled in the appropriate way because for alternative capital, there wasn't enough distribution to be interested It's always a big chicken and egg problem, right? Like, how do you get capital interested when you're really small? And if you're really small, then, I mean, you're taking on a lot of concentrated risk. It was just lucky that we were able to break that cycle. It always requires some degree of luck, and we were lucky enough to do that. Excellent. Sid, what sort of people and companies listening to this podcast do you want to connect with as you continue to grow the the business? We would love to hear from more people in the agent and broker communities. There's a lot of areas in the world that could use parametric solutions, and we've been very pleasantly surprised by how many new agencies we see sending us quotes now. So I think globally, there's a lot of risks that could be fulfilled by parametric. In the past, there hasn't been enough capacity, I think, in this market, and I think that's changing rapidly. So we encourage them to come to our website, check it out, uh, please reach out to us. Of course, the insurance, reinsurance industry where we can partner either on the capacity side or on the distribution side to deploy these solutions. For example, in the energy markets, like if you are dealing with the renewable sector, there are a lot of parametric solutions that are applicable there. And especially that industry is very open 
to parametric solutions. So we'd love to talk more on those uh, to those folks as well. Great. And, and they can get in touch on your website. Is that the best way? Absolutely. The website has a lot of different areas they can contact and also links to our platform if that is preferred. Perfect. And um, what is the one thing that people should remember about our bowl after listening to this? We are ready to broaden the adoption of parametric coverage in any form, derivatives, insurance, reinsurance. And if there is a climate risk that is difficult to insure, you know, please reach out as we may be able to help. It's a challenge. Can anyone find a risk that you're not able to insure? <laughs> there are, definitely, and but we are very quick. We are not going to waste okay. any time. <laughs> well, thanks, Sid. It's been great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for having me here. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to find out more about how we're helping companies collaborate on technology, data, and insurance, head to www.instech.co. And if you want to join the community and become a member, you can reach out to us directly. Hello at instech.co.